Amen. That's good worship, huh? It's really good. You know, uh, before I start the sermon here for a second, I, I just want to publicly acknowledge that Alex and Gianna got married on Friday. And how old are you, Alex? 20. And how old are you, Gianna? 20 and 18, got married on Friday. Where are they out on Sunday? That's how, that's how you start a marriage off right. Amen. 20-year-old man leading his family. There's a sermon in there somewhere. All right, let's uh, get into this. Today we're going to be in 1 Samuel 24. Um, we're going to read the whole chapter. Um, so here we go. 1 Samuel 24, now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all of Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. Then the men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. David also arose afterwards, went out of the cave, and called out to Saul, saying, My Lord, the king... And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped down with his face to the earth and bowed to the down, bowed down. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, indeed, David seeks your harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave and someone urged me to kill you. But my eyes spared you and I said, I will not stretch out my hand against the Lord for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand. And I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take it. Yet the Lord judge between you and me and let the Lord avenge me on you. But my hand shall not be against you, as the proverb of the ancient says, Wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom is the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A flea? Therefore let the Lord be judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. So it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul, and Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Then he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me, for when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore, swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So David swore to Saul and Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. What's going on in this story? Um, if you're, and I always have to say this, if you're just joining us, uh, we've been going through 1 Samuel for the last year. Saul is the king of Israel. David is soon to be king of Israel. 
Saul has been pursuing David, uh, trying to kill him. David has been running from Saul. He's trying to not get killed because he's supposed to be king. Saul is trying to kill him because he doesn't want him to be king. And Saul wants to keep being king. So in this story, David is hiding in a cave. Saul got 3,000 guys with him, but he's got to do his business. It said he went into the cave to relieve himself. So he goes in to do his business in the cave, and David's in the cave hiding with his friends. And his friends look at and like, hey, man, there's Saul. Here's your chance. Kill him. And David's like, man, I can't do that. He's God's anointed. He's God's chosen. I'm not going to kill him. So he comes up, and he just snips off a corner of his robe. And then Saul leaves the cave, and then David's like, you know what? I got to tell him what just happened. So he goes out of the cave and he calls out to Saul and he holds up the corner of his robe. And he's like, hey, Saul, I just want to let you know that I could have killed you and I didn't. And Saul's, Saul is like cut to his heart. He's like, man, how, how is it that you wouldn't kill me? Any man put in your situation, finds his enemy, would utterly destroy him and kill him. And so Saul right then and there repents and it's like, I'm not going to pursue you. I'm not going to try and kill you. You've shown me kindness when I didn't deserve kindness. So what else could I do except stop trying to pursue you and not trying to kill you? Folks, this story is a picture of the gospel. This story is a picture of the good news of Jesus Christ coming to this earth. That, that we uh, were enemies of God, but Christ, because of his mercy, showed us mercy when we were undeserving of it. And that we, like Saul, were undeserving, but we, like Saul, should turn away from that sin which we have been doing and turn towards God in faith. Saul deserved death in this story. Saul and 3,000 men are on the hunt for David, and David uh, is inside of a cave that Saul goes in to relieve himself. And so David cuts a corner of his robe while he's doing this, and even his friends say, this is your chance to kill the king. And in that moment, I don't think any one of us would have been upset if the story read, and Saul went into the cave, David killed him, and David became king. We'd all be like, yes, finally, it's time. Saul's been a jerk to him, and Saul's been trying to kill him. He has every right to defend himself. He has every right to kill him because this guy's trying to kill him. And we even see it in the story that David's friends are even encouraging him to kill Saul. They're like, come on, man, this is your chance. This is what you've been waiting for. Saul deserved death for his actions. He was wicked. He was evil. He was attempting murder. Isaiah 3.11, it says, Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hands shall be given him. Saul was getting his just reward. Saul had murderous intents on his heart. So he's getting the just reward of his intent that he deserves murder as well. This, this is why I, I believe in biblical self-defense. If somebody comes into your house with an intent to kill you and you defend yourself, they are receiving the just reward of their intent. You, you've performed no wickedness. You, you've given them the wickedness that they themselves intended to inflict on you. That's another sermon we'll get into on another day. But a murderous plot of death gets rewarded with death. Psalm 34, 21 says, Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. Folks, this is justice. It's justice that Saul would get death, death, that he would get what he deserved. You try evil, you get evil. You kill, you die. This is literally, <laughs> excuse me, these are literally the moments where they don't make movies like this, the 80s movies, 
Like in the 80s movies, you always have the despicable evil guy, and at the end, he gets killed, and then everybody in the theater cheers. They're like, yay! You guys don't watch the 80s movies? And there's always the line there, like, hasta la vista, baby, and then, right? You're terminated, right? I mean, like, it's funny, I watch those movies with my son, and he's like, Dad, what's the point? That's all there is. The one guy with muscles gets a gun, chases down the bad guy, kills him. That's it. That's it. And we cheer at those parts in the movie because we love to see wickedness get destroyed. And, and, and it's funny, if you watch movies, they'll make somebody seem as evil as possible to pull you in emotionally so when they get killed, you're actually excited that somebody gets killed. And so in this story, it's no different. We've been building up to this point where it's like, honestly, I'm waiting for Saul to get killed. I'm waiting for the hasta la vista, baby, right? Like, I'm wait- all the young kids are like, this guy is so old. Y'all are, y'all are coming back to the 80s, though. They're re-releasing Top Gun. You know what I mean? I feel the need. The need for All right. We're pulling back into the 80s, man. It's my decade and I ain't leaving. All right. But here's where the gospel comes in. We are all Saul's. We're all Saul's, man. We deserve death. Verse 17, and then he, Saul, said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I rewarded you with evil. See, we, we look at a man like Saul... And we get this righteous self-indignation that says, man, Saul deserves to die. And then God holds up the mirror and and, and you look in the the mirror and you see a picture of Saul. You look in your own heart and in your own mind and your own actions and you look and you say, man, how can I even stand and say that I'm any better than Saul? The truth is we can't. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, Jesus, he said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, You fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. We all deserve death, don't we? Have you, have you never had a murderous plot in your mind towards someone else? People are like, not me, pastor. I just love grace and mercy. I, I, I literally, since I've been a Christian, there's been times when I've walked it through. I'm like, I could just do this and you want to go on a hike? You know what I mean? Like, Come on. Accidental. I'm no different than Saul. Maybe, maybe I haven't acted in actions, but the, you know, the, the, the moral standard of the New Testament isn't action. It's thought and deed and desire. It's not that you didn't commit adultery. It's that you had a desire to commit adultery. We're no better than Saul. We're no better than him. We can't sit here on our righteous high horse and look at Saul and be like, well, I would never do that. You know, a, a, a few months ago, um, I was over at the Brown Bear here on, on Auburn Way. And um, I, as you're coming out of Brown Bear, uh, the Brown Bear's here, Auburn Way is here, and there's a Taco Bell over here. So when you come out of the, the thing, you can go this way and go on Auburn Way, um, or you can come back in through the, the parking lot, and then there's a turn lane that goes this way, and there's a turn lane that goes that way on Auburn Way. So it's in the middle, and it goes this way. And... 
I was getting my car washed because that's what I do. And, and, and so I was waiting to, to pull out and I was, I, 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 I don't do this that often. I usually go the other way, but, and so I was sitting there and I was looking over my left shoulder, waiting for cars to come this way and it was clear. And so I began to pull out and another person came, this was pulling in while I was pulling out. And, and so th- the reason why I realized this is because they honked their horn and screamed at me. And so I put on the brakes and we're literally like, probably like this far away from each other, nose to nose. And when you're that close, like you can see what they're saying and doing in the windshield. And, and my window was down. And, and, and so they started to say a lot of words towards me that aren't in the Bible. And, 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 and they were giving me, they they weren't saying Jesus one way. They weren't saying that to me. And uh, I mean, and it was just anger. And, 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 and I was like, I made a mistake. I, I, didn't, I didn't wake up this morning and be like, dude, I'm going to go down. I'm going to smash somebody's car in Auburn Way. Yeah. Yeah. I just made a, have you guys ever made a mistake? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this person was so just, so then they go and then, you know, they go to get in line at, in Brown Bear. And I was like, you know what? I think I want to interact with that person some more. <laughs> and so... You know, I, I quickly put it into reverse and ensured no one was behind me, but got back there as quickly as possible because I didn't want to miss this opportunity. And, and I began to have a conversation with them. Um, it may have been at a volume that other people may have heard within earshot. <laughs> and I, I, I literally screamed at the top of my lungs, I made a mistake. Well, you tip tip all this other stuff. And I, I yelled across my car. I said, Have you never made a mistake? Have you never done anything wrong? I made a mistake. <laughs> and and in the moment you could see their eyes, they went, and I said, He doesn't deserve you cussing at me. All that other stuff, man. I made a mistake. And then they, they, they stopped and they said, I'm sorry. I said, All right, man, have a good day. Don't do that again. <laughs> And I drove away and I thought, I really hope that person never comes to church. (laughs) See, I've been serving God for like 30 years. Man, I think I'm saved. I really do. I really think I'm saved. But every once in a while, like something like that will happen. And like, I'm like, where did that guy come from? You guys want, you guys, this is why Crystal always drives. You know what I mean? (laughs) Just keeping me saved. I, I, even as much as I'm serving God, like I, I can't, I can't even look at this and say that I'm farther along than anybody else. You know, the only difference between a a Christian and a non-Christian is that we're not sinless. We just sin less. You know, we do something wrong and then we repent and we ask for forgiveness and we apologize and we say, man, I shouldn't have done that. I'm no different than Saul though. I, I, I can't look at him and think that I'm, I'm better. Maybe, maybe you can. Maybe you can look at it and be like, no, I'm, I'm much farther along than Saul. Not me. I can't do that at all. See, the Bible says in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? That means when you sin, you deserve death. Like the, the wages of sin is death. 
You, you have an offense towards God. If you uh, break the Ten Commandments, whatever it is, you, you're an offense to God and it deserves death. Look what this verse says in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Leave that up. We all used to be that way. Like we were all objects of God's wrath, but, but we, we can't come to the point where we forget that, that we're, we're not that far away. We're not that far away at all. We were by nature. We, we fulfilled the desires of the flesh. The Bible says in Titus 3, 3, for we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. When you got saved, you got saved from a nature that was sinful. No better than Saul. You are Saul. I am Saul. We are Saul. We desire destruction for others in our mind. I mean, you know, it's funny. I talk about this stuff and you guys look at me like, not me, pastor. I've never wished that person that's mean to me at work got fired. Never. You guys ever wish that? Yeah, because you're despicable. A wicked heart. Ever had somebody cut you off in traffic and then, you know, they go off and then the police is pulling them over and you're like, yeah, woo! Finally a cop there when you need one. Here, here's, here's where the story starts to get really good, though. It said, if we look in verses 8 through 13, it says this. David also rose afterward, went out of the cave, and called out to Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed to him. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Indeed, David seeks you harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave, and someone urged me to kill you. But my eyes spared you, and I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yes, the corner of your robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take it. Verse 13, it says, as the proverb of the ancient says, wickedness proceeds from wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. See, this is that moment where, where David is actually quoting scripture to Saul. He's quoting Ezekiel 18, 20. It says, the soul who sins shall die. The wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. And if you, uh, if you know your Bibles, you know the story of David. David is actually described at, uh, in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. That's, that's what he's described as. And in this moment, David has the opportunity to kill wicked Saul, but he doesn't. This is a picture of the gospel. When you, when you read the Old Testament Christologically, you see Jesus in the Old Testament. You see God's grace. You see God's mercy. You see God's forgiveness. David had every right to kill the wicked, sinful man, but David, because of who David was and who he served, did not kill Saul. He did not kill Saul because of who Saul was. He didn't kill, God. He didn't kill Saul because of who God was and who he was. Lamentations 3.22 says, Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. Can you think about how many times that God has saved you? 
Can you think about how many things God has delivered you from? Can you think about all of your wicked, vile actions, deeds, and thoughts that you have done before God in your life that, that, that God could really make a really good justification on why you shouldn't even be alive? If you were honest with yourself, you'd realize that your offense before God deserves destruction. He has every right to destroy you because He created you. People say, well, that's not a very loving God, but watch what happens in the Word. Psalm 86, 15, David says, but you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. See, people say, well, I don't want to serve a God that would destroy me. But you're not destroyed, are you? You're still here. God's loving mercy and kindness allows you to still breathe His air. And people, this is what irks me, is that people talk about the God of the New Testament versus the God of the Old Testament. Folks, God has not changed. There's no God of the Old Testament. There's God of the New Testament. There is God. In the Old Testament, He's a merciful God. In the New Testament, He's a merciful God. In the Old Testament, He's a wrathful God. In the New Testament, He's a wrathful God. Old Testament loving, New Testament loving. Old Testament giving, New Testament giving. It's in His nature to show mercy. And He gives you opportunity to turn away and turn towards Him. Watch in Micah 7, 8 through 19. I love this verse. Who is a God like you? pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He delights in mercy. It's in his nature. God isn't up there when he destroys the wicked clapping his hands. No, he delights in showing mercy. Next verse. He will again, (laughs) he will again have compassion on us. And will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. Isn't it interesting that the writer of this verse didn't even realize that the depths of the sea are are a farther distance than the highest mountain on earth. It's the farthest point on the earth that you could go is into the depths of the sea. And he says, you know what? That's where God throws your sins. So far away from him. He's a loving, gracious, merciful God. And it pains me when people paint God in a different picture like that. Because he's so filled with mercy. He desires mercy for you. He desires to forgive you. Ezra 9, 13 through 15. I'm showing you guys these from the Old Testament because I want you to understand that God's nature of mercy has always been that way. And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, since you, our God, have punished us less than our and have given us such deliverance as this should we again break your commandments and join in marriage with the people committing these abominations would you not be angry with us until you had consumed us so that there would be no remnant or survivor oh lord god of israel you are righteous for we are left as a remnant as it is to this day here we are before you in our guilt though no one can stand before you because of this See, I, I, I don't subscribe to this idea where, where I have to sit around and talk about how awesome I am and, and how valuable I am. Like, be, I, I look at myself with sober judgment. On my best day, I'm still not that good. 
I'm still just a vile sinner that needs a savior. There, there's nothing inside of me that's good that didn't come from God. And I, man, I deserve death. You know, this, this idea that people think like, well, I deserve better than that. No, you don't. I love what Spurgeon said, and I'm paraphrasing. He said one time, he said, you know, if a man is angry with you, don't be upset with him because you are far worse than he thinks you to be. Whatever, whatever person is upset with you, just thank them because they don't really know how bad you really are. Saul was deserving of death, but David didn't kill him. Not because Saul was deserving of mercy, because David's nature was one of mercy. Such it is with the heart of God, mercy. This is why David could write Psalm 103 and say, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. David is going to understand the mercy of God very well in 2 Samuel. When he goes and he sends another woman's husband into battle to die so he can sleep with his wife, he's going to really understand the mercy of God after that. See, the, the image of David as a Christ figure in this story cannot be understated at all. Look at verse 18. He says, And you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me. For when the Lord delivered me into your hands, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. Folks, this is the heart and nature of God. He desires to show mercy. He he is a merciful God. God could destroy you, remove you, be done with you, but he chose to save you and forgive you. That you could experience the riches of his glory. That you could experience life everlasting. Like, I I don't know about you, but I like being alive. It's pretty cool. I, I enjoy being on, on, on this side of the dirt and this side of heaven. I haven't gotten to heaven yet. I'm sure it's 10 times better, but I praise God that he allows me to be alive. I love it. I, I, I love being alive. It's a, it's a gift. God wanted to love us. And so now that I'm alive and I feel God's love and I'm in relationship with him and he comforts me. I mean, and, and I, I, don't, I don't know if you've experienced this. Folks, human relationships leave you wanting. Yeah. And I don't even care if you're married. My, my wife is not enough. I, I can't be enough to her. Having kids is not enough. Like being anything or experiencing anything, it's still leave, you always come home from vacation. It's never enough. That's why the heart of David resonates with me so much because I'm just like, man, all I have when it's all done is the love of Jesus. All I have is the love of God. Romans 9.22, what if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured much long suffering, the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? That's you. That's me. He endured us with much patience, even though we were on our way to destruction. And that he might make known the riches of his glory and the vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory. This is why God takes the most disgusting wicked people and turns them into a beautiful thing. Because he wants to show the world like I'm a God of mercy. This person that experienced this, did this, was involved with this. Now they've turned to me and now they're set free and I can use them for good. And I can do great things with their lives. Because he's a God of mercy. Amen. 
Ephesians 2, 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It is so vitally important if you call yourself a Christian that you understand the gospel. It's really important if you're not a Christian to understand what you're turning away from. God created man. Man sinned. God wants to be in relationship with man. But because man sinned, he can't be in relationship with him. So he needed a way to be able to be in relationship with him. So he sent Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Now, through faith, we believe in Christ's forgiveness. And now we can be in relationship with God and we become a new creation in him. We turn away from sin. We turn towards God. You cannot simultaneously pursue sin and God at the same time. God God is not pleased with sin. He doesn't accept sin. He doesn't turn the other way in sin. You have to turn towards him. We were dead, unable to save ourselves. And God sends Jesus to save us from our sins. You know, I was uh, kind of sick this week. Um, Not kind of, I really was. I kind of still am. And uh, I I always feel bad when I like spend a day not being productive because I'm just like, what a waste of a day. And so... I spent, I don't remember what, I think it was maybe Thursday, I spent the bulk of my day on YouTube. There's a lot of fun videos to watch on YouTube. And so uh, I, I watched this video about um, I shouldn't be alive. And this dude, he was on a, he was on a, a sailboat by himself in the Atlantic and his sailboat sunk and he got into a life raft. And he floated out in the Atlantic Ocean by himself for 76 days with little to no supplies. And uh, eventually, because he started off the coast of, I think, Africa, and then he got into the water, and then he ended up down in Antigua, uh, in the Bahamas or somewhere down there. And you think about what it would be like to be out on the ocean by yourself for 76 days. And I don't have time to tell you the comedy of errors of what, I mean, his, his uh, raft got punctured. He ran out of water. He ran out of food. I mean, he, he must, he said he saw like 25 ships. He shot off flares. Nobody saw him. He's like, dude, I'm going to die. And then lo and behold, one morning he wakes up and he, he can see land and here comes some fishermen out to him. And they're like, what are you doing out here? Getting a tan? They literally said that to him. He was like, really? <laughs> they take him and they put him in the boat. Can you imagine if he got in that boat and then as, as, he, as he went, he, he looked at other, other people and thought, you know what, man, you probably deserve to drown. These guys saved me, but... You deserve to drown. No way. I've been saved, man. I'm going to do whatever I can and look at people in sober judgment and say, you know what? They, they need to be delivered as well. They need to be pulled out of there as well. Now we're made whole. Our sins are forgiven. Our relationships restored. Colossians 1.21, and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. So how should we live? Like if, if, if we didn't, if we were undeserving of God's mercy, God shows us mercy, God saves us, God delivers us, then how should we live? First and foremost, we should stop sinning. We should stop. You don't, and, and people get so worried about a pastor when he talks about sin, like, you know, I, I can't be saved from not sinning. You're like, well, yeah, that's the point. You, you don't stop sinning so you can get saved. You stop sinning because you are saved. 
you realize like, man, why do I, why do I want to go back to what God has delivered me from? I want to, I don't want to shame God and take his grace for a spin. I don't want to do that at all. No, not at all. The, the second Peter three fourteen. therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. The scripture is very clear, folks. When you've been forgiven from sin, you should stop sinning. Romans 6.15, what then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. You see the picture of the gospel here too where Saul turns away from pursuing David because David showed him mercy. Some of you uh, have this idea that God is out to get you and kill you and then you have an offense towards God and God's shown you mercy but you won't release God of the anger that you have instead of turning away and saying, you know what, God, I'm done being angry with you. I just want to walk in a different way. I want to walk with you and not against you. Secondly, we should give God everything. We should give God everything. How, How could you not? I mean, you, you look at Saul and it's, it's sad the story didn't end up this way. But Saul, what Saul should have done is in that moment, he should have just said to David, man, it's clear you're better than I am. Here's the throne. Here's the power. You can have it all. I'm not even like, you're, you're beautiful. I'm wicked. You run everything. I'll just be your servant. That's, that's what Saul should have done. But he didn't. He at least turned away. Um, but he did say, I deserve to die and you didn't. See, when, when, when you have a mindset of knowing that you've been saved from something, you, you would give that person everything, right? You go back to that guy that was on the thing for 76 days and those two guys that rescued him. If they ever called and said like, hey man, you think we could get some help? You'd be like, no, I'm busy. I, like, do you not remember when we saved you and like you were dying and we helped you? I was like, yeah, it's really good. Thanks, but I'm busy. Like, how can you not give God everything? If, if he's saved you, he's delivered you, he set you free. The smallest request would be like, God, it's all yours anyway. I would be dead and gone if it wasn't for you. How can I not give you everything? Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. We deserve death. We should have been destroyed, but God loved us and saved us. So you can have it all now, Jesus. You can have everything. I shouldn't even be alive. This is why it's so uncanny to me when you have to convince Christians to, to, to be generous with what they have. Your time, your resources, everything. We, we, don't deserve, we don't deserve half of what we have and we don't get half of what we deserve. Romans 6.15, shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. Same way, how can we not give everything to God? We can't not give anything. Luke 9.23, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Thirdly, we've got to love everyone. Man, you've got to love everyone. The natural byproduct of being saved from your sins and loved by God is loving others, knowing, you know what? When I was an enemy of God, he loved me. And now that this person is my enemy, how can I not love them? How can that not be in my nature? It can't be. The, the, the Bible says in Galatians 5.14, for all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The Bible says in 1 John 4.8, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Folks, it doesn't matter who it is or what they have done to you. Love them. Why? Because God loved you when you were a despicable dung eater. And now 
you can love others, even the unlovable. Again, the the standard of the New Testament is even higher than the standard of the Old Testament. Jesus said, he said, if you love those that love you, are you not no different than the sinners? He said, love those that don't love you. That's that's who you want to love. God is never pleased with an, 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 an unloving attitude. Also, we must forgive everyone. And I don't have time to go into it, but forgiveness is different than restoration. Sometimes you can't put the, uh, put the whipped cream back in the can, right? I would have loved that David and Saul would move forward as buddies, but at best, Saul let him go and said, you know what, man, I'm just going to forgive you and then we're just going to move forward. We can't move forward together, but we can move forward. Forgiveness is, forgiveness is more about letting somebody free of their offense. But if that person's unrepentant, you can't really go back into relationship with them. But, but the heart of forgiveness frees you from that anger of saying like, because again, David would think that he could have like every anger towards Saul, but he chooses to forgive him. We should forgive everyone. Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. This is one of the scariest verses of the whole New Testament. And I want you to hear it. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And, and, and that idea of forgiveness, and, and this flows through every relationship. I mean, this is, people say, I want my marriage to change. Appropriate Christ's forgiveness in your marriage. You're no better than your spouse. Why do you get so upset with the things that they do? Because you don't even do half of what you think in your mind. Once you appropriate Christ's forgiveness, you have a relationship with a friend, appropriate Christ's forgiveness. Something goes wrong inside of the church or outside of the church, man, just I forgive you. It's fine. I shouldn't even be alive. And lastly, we've got to lead other people to Christ. We've got to, we've got to bring other people into the, into the ark, into the boat. We've got to let other people experience the freedom that we experience in Christ. That we can experience uh, God's love and mercy is beyond anything I could ever ask or imagine. How could I hold that to myself? As, I, as I've been saved, as I've been set free, I'm, I'm doing the world a disservice by not sharing that with somebody else so that they can experience what we've experienced of having a relationship with Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you close your eyes Would you bow your heads? This morning, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to this message. It's really quite easy. Either you're a Christian or you're not. Either you've given your life to Jesus or you haven't. And the Bible's very clear. If, if you haven't received Christ's forgiveness, you're dead in your sins, man. You're an offense to God. God's mercy is such that he just wants to show you mercy, but you have to, you have to appropriate it. You have to take it. God's mercy doesn't come upon the wicked. It comes upon the repentant. When you turn towards God in faith, you just admit and you say, you know what, Lord, I just want to be forgiven and I want to live for you. And in that moment, Christ will come in and he'll set you free. If you've never made that decision before, you want to do that for the very first time, I want you to raise your hand. I want you to raise it up high and say, man, I'm, I'm done living for myself. I want to live for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe you've been far from God. 
and you're just like, man, how do I get back? Just turn around, man. He's right behind you. But you've been waiting for that moment to say, like, man, I need a day. I need a day where I can know that I came back to Jesus. If you need to come back to the Lord today and you want to rededicate your life, we want to pray with you. Would you raise your hand right now and say, I'm ready to come back to Jesus. I'm ready to live for him. I've been away from him. Now, for the rest of us, God, I would just pray that we would appropriate your grace and your mercy in our lives. Father, that we would experience your mercy in a new and fresh way. God, that we would never forget what you've saved us from. God, that we would never forget that you loved us when we were unlovable, that you saved us when we were unsavable. God, all we can do is give you everything. We give you our lives today. We give everything we are in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen.